and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow, till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. I'm Simon Sansbury, and we're here today with... Antonia Harrison. Thank you very much for coming, Antonia. Marvellous. The fourth of our uh, general election specials. So, Antonia, standing in Portsmouth North as the Liberal Democrat... That's right. Would you like to introduce yourself and uh, give us a bit of background on how you came to be in politics? Well, at the age of 12, in true blue conservative area, I stood as the Liberal candidate at school. I have no idea why, (laughs) but uh, I didn't win. Um, All of my family have always voted Conservative, and yet I've always been the yellow sheep of the family. In 1990, I heard Paddy Ashdown speak and there was something about the common sense that that man said over and over that just made me feel, do you know what, I want to join this man's party. I'd never been involved in politics before, always been on the fringe, but I wanted to be involved. So I joined, I got involved, deliveries, canvassing, just being part of the team. And that was enough for me. But it was after the 2015 result, which we won't come into, and then the 2016 referendum, that I just got upset and angry. And I said, I think it's time that I got involved. I think it's time that I stood to be an MP. And that is how I came to be where I am today. That's a that's a fairly that's a that's a very passionate journey I mean 2015 was Simon and I have touched on it many times there's a you know even as a conservative I believe that the Lib Dems got a very unfair kind of payback from the electorate for the work that they did when in coalition Um, but no it's nice to hear that that's spurred you on into stepping Mm. forward into the uh, into the limelight it's mainly Brexit yeah. was the main reason but the other reason is I'm also a mental health therapist and there's just not enough happening for people who need mental health treatment with one in four adults now having some sort of mental health issues and so many children having issues mental health patients are not getting the treatment they need and uh, I think it's time we did something about it in fact one of my inspirations was to become an MP and to work alongside Norman Lamb, who was the Lib Dem minister in the coalition, because he's done so much marvellous work to help the journey of, of, of mental health treatment achieving parity. He's now leaving Parliament, he's achieved as much as he can, but let's hope his work will go on, and let's hope I will be able to continue that work sooner rather than later. Excellent. Well, you touched on it. The B word. The B word. The word we dare not speak. Mm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, as once again I'm outnumbered, I, 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 but I wouldn't like anybody to presume. So where, where do you stand on the Brexit question and uh, where do you see us going from here? So Brexit upset me personally. It made me angry. It made me particularly angry to hear the day after the result that... Or was it about half of the nation googled what is the EU? Now many people decided to vote leave for apparently very good reasons and I respect 
people's judgments and people voting to leave because they've thought it through and they've really researched it and come to their own conclusions. But I've heard some really ridiculous reasons for voting to leave and many people voted just on the whim and that really upsets me that people have made that decision which is going to affect us now, our children, our grandchildren uh, in such a, a devastating way, I believe. And that is why I needed to get involved. Uh, our party decided straight after the referendum that we would do everything we could to keep our country in the EU because we believe it's so important for many factors. Staying in the EU is not just about trade. There's so many other factors. It's about the country that we are, the people that we are, the values we hold. And... So I, I started campaigning along with the party from those early days. I have personally marched seven times for a people's vote. It's really important. There are so many people who tell us that either they've changed their opinion, either way, or just that they want a second look at it. And let's face it, the MPs can't make, up, can't make a decision. So somebody has to. And it just makes sense that you can't keep saying, well, we have to leave because 17.4 million voted for it. But leave how? Nobody has come up with a conclusive answer on how we're going to leave. If you decide to leave home, you have to know where you're going and how you're going to do it. And you have to know where you're going. And the MPs haven't got a conclusive path. Leave to Boris Johnson is not the same as leave to Nigel Farage. Even Nigel Farage said that the, the current proposed deal was worse than staying in the EU, according to Nigel Farage. So uh, therefore... That could be why he's standing in <laughs> candidates in marginals against Conservatives. Well, so therefore, there are so many definitions of what leave means. And I think people want to have another look at it, a real informed look. Just as in Northern Ireland, they had a, a, a real look at what, what was the Good Friday Agreement. They had informed choice. And I think that's what the people of Britain, people of the United Kingdom, should be given a chance to do. Marvellous. Thank you for the, a, a comprehensive answer. I'm now going to hand you over to the potmaster himself and the Pompey Politics podcast. You're not going to sing the jingle for the, well, the, the potmaster. Port potmaster. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. said you were going to get that from steal it from the internet rather than having well, like, like we've done everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Antonia. Being efficient, I shall pick all three at one go. Ooh. Ooh. How strange is that? Mm. Only two of our four guests have done the pick all three at once technique. Okay. Mm -hmm. And just to clarify, because obviously our audience can't see that, but those three questions have been picked um, from the same pot, um, so which has the same nine questions in it that all of our all of our guests have, have answered. And so, they're folded over, so yeah, I can't see what folded, they are. Yeah, and they're folded over with this really, really effective technique of folding back on itself a post-it note that I've written on the reverse of. So you can't see the question. So. You have to open it. It's like a gift that you have to unwrap. It is. It's early Christmas, it is. isn't it, really? Yeah, it is. It's, you know. I never thought I'd get a gift from the Conservatives. Absolutely. Hang on a minute. <laughs> he, he, he did all the work. So, so. Okay, so we've got three questions here, and I'm going to read them all out. If cost was no object, what physical changes would you make to Parliament? 
Do you think the NHS will always remain free at the point of use? And first past the post, protector of our democracy or burden? So I'm going to take the first and third together because they both concern Parliament. The first one, the physical changes to Parliament. Well, this is relevant in that, unfortunately, the Houses of Commons or the Houses of Parliament, rather, is crumbling and they do need to make some sort of physical change. So why not look at, is Parliament the right shape and is it fit for purpose or can we do better? At the moment, one bunch of MPs sits across from the other and they shout across at the others, which makes for great television, but it's perhaps not the best way of having conciliatory politics. Let's look at what happens in, well, Scotland, Germany, European Parliament, and probably many other places that I can't think of at the moment, where they have a circular format. So they have the, the speaker, if you like, at the front, but then they all sit around in a circle. They sit with their groups in the circle, but then they all face the front. So there's no shouting across the middle. Mm. Doesn't that just make more sense? Well, a fact I'll throw in yeah. is that the width between the benches is just slightly wider than two swords lengths. And that's why they're that far apart. Interesting. Didn't that get proved to be an urban myth? No. Are you sure? Oh, I'm absolutely certain. Okay. We, we, we shall let our listeners respond to us as to whether whether that's actually true or not. Because, you know, in this age of, you know, in this age of bon Boris Johnson facts or facts, then... <laughs> The House of Commons is smaller than it looks on television. That's good old wide-angle lenses for you. Well, you can't fit all 650 they MPs can't. in, can you? They can't, no. So they have to do something, they have to change it. So that's the first thing I do. The second thing I do Would is... Would you keep it in London? Ooh, I'm originally from London, so ooh, I might be biased. Ooh, yep. However, I do see that there is a, a call for putting it in somewhere like... Birmingham, possibly even Manchester, but probably more like Birmingham. That's probably more a central point of England. Not so fair on Scotland, but hey, they always have to travel, don't they? The other thing... No, I'm sorry, something. I was thinking of that, because we've got both houses physically located in the same place. Mm. In the 21st century, do, do both, both houses have to be in the same place? Because at the moment, when, well, you, when you pass legislation, you physically take it across um, across the um, across from one parliament to the other so you know from one chamber to the other so you literally take that take, take that bounding tape legislation and walk mm. it through is that something we really need to do now well I personally enjoy all the state and pomp and circumstance and the tradition of going from the House of Commons yeah. to the House of Lords all the black rod and the door being slammed in the if they weren't in the same place that would take that away, wouldn't it? Yeah, I guess the sight of Black Rod. On a train? Jo on a train. Not quite the same, is it? Well, I don't know. It's not, <laughs> got, it's not got the same ceremony to it. No, well, it good not. with that. So, so there's that. The other things is, again, looking at the European Parliament, they all have working tables at their Parliament seats with lights. And again, I think that makes sense, that they should be able to bring in some paperwork, some reference notes, and have a little light to be able to, to see their way. 
I know that the current situation, some of them have to lean back to be able to hear the speakers. Jacob Rees-Mogg perhaps leant back a little too far, but we won't go into that. Oh dear, I did. That's, that's not a comment about Conservative MPs lying in the House of Westminster. Oh dear. So there's that. Beyond that, beyond that, we do want to encourage more women to be MPs, and we want to encourage younger women to be MPs. And some of us will recall uh, Jo Swinson, our leader, taking her baby into the House of Commons. Shock horror. Can you imagine that a hundred years ago? So I don't know if there is a creche and a nursery in the House of Commons, there isn't. but I suspect there isn't. And I think there should be. It is a modern or it should be a modern workplace with good workers rights. And I think that that's something that we should have there. And I don't know, there are a number of bars and restaurants, I understand. I don't know if there's a gym, but if there isn't, I think there should be. So those sort of things I think should be within the physical changes. Are there there is what? a House of Commons community nursery. Is there? Is yeah. there? And a yeah. crash for babies? Um, I don't know about that. This is just me doing a very quick Google. But interestingly, after we recorded, Amanda was saying something kind of similar, wasn't she? Was, was it actually in the cast? I can't remember. Rem so is, I it, it, couldn't it, remember if it was Amanda or Donna. Yeah, but it's... It's an interesting point, yeah. isn't it? We we want a we want our politic our politicians to reflect our society, mm -hmm. but we're not you know like any other workplace. We don't provide you know. And I'm not funny. There aren't any other workplaces I can think of where there are access to so many bars, um, and you know where there aren't access to you know crash or, or yeah. nursery facilities or you know things like that. So it's 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 just a it's just an arcane thing from a bygone era, isn't it? You know, na nappy changing areas and bottle feeding microwaves. And well, I don't know. I think the more like that. I think the more members of the front bench that get to change nappies, the better. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so Might be good for them. Okay. <laughs> so I think we've covered that. Mm -hmm. First past the post. Well, I'm a Liberal Democrat, so what can I say? It's uh, not a it fan. It doesn't help. It doesn't. No, not a fan. Uh, the only people who seem to be fans of that system are the Conservatives and Labour because it's in their interest to keep the old-fashioned system. The old-fashioned system, of course, of when there were only two parties, so it, it protected that system. Now there are so many parties, including some very minor parties that we would probably struggle to think of, and yet everybody should have a right to be able to vote for who they really believe represents their views and for those views to be represented represented in in the results and that's not happening because we know that the the minor parties don't get the representation in the in the results i mean look how many people vote green and yet they have one mp and how many votes are they going to have to get in the right place to produce a second mp yeah yeah yeah, yeah no <laughs> and that's not right uh, UKIP, uh, I'm not a great fan, I have to say, but they they had how many millions of votes, and yet yeah, I've done, I think in no the, MPs except for the one that yeah, I think moved in, over from the Conservatives. I think in fifteen, I want to say they had something like fourteen, fifteen percent of the vote nationally. Yeah, yeah. it was a, it was a it was a significant number, yeah. um, but obviously they got they got no 
nobody across the line in any one area. And then, of course, we have this tactical voting situation where people are saying, well, you don't want A, so you have to vote B, even though you vote C. You, you, nat you naturally vote C. Well, you should be able to vote for the person you actually believe in. You shouldn't be playing games all the time. Now, in the European elections, we had proportional representation. And guess what? It worked. Oh, I yes, it did. Oh. So Brexit Party won because they got the most votes. So they got the most MEPs. Lib Dems came second. Did, did you hear that, by the way? I yeah. did. I, Conservative I, friend, I yes. Was, I was fully aware of the results of the yes. uh, arrangement. And in fact, I, I, uh, it was before I joined the party, so I can be exempt. Oh, OK. But um, I, I did favour the Brexit party in the European elections. All right. And I think the Greens got seven MEPs. The Greens always do very well in the in the European And again, it's, it's a slightly strange system. We did explore it in detail on one of the pods. Um, in terms of the way in which they're... But the, the, the system is designed to give broader representation. Mm. I, my, my, and again, I've always... I, I absolutely recognise that neither the Conservative or the uh, or, or Labour are going to vote for anything else, as turkeys don't vote for Christmas. Mm. Um, but my, my issue, personally, has always been with proportional representation is the danger is that it hands the balance of power to the extremists. And that's that's kind of... You know that that's the bit that concerns me, and on the last pod, Gerald called out some very functional, proportional representation-based governments. But um, oh, only know. if the majority vote for those extremists. No, it's a balance of power thing, isn't it? it balance it, of power. Well, I lived I lived in Belgium and Spain for sixteen years, so they're proportional representation yep. countries. Belgium is rather different in that. You have French socialists and Flemish socialists. It's really complicated over there. Oh, you have yeah. so many parties. And sometimes the Flemish part of the country votes in a different way to the French part. Really complicated. But the PR system does represent the views. So you don't end up with extremist parties running the show. You do have cooperation between the parties. And you do have a situation where the socialists cooperate with the Greens who cooperate with the Conservative parties and the Liberals and everybody works together but also representing the views of the extreme right. Right. It does it does work and everybody gets represented. And I think that that is really fair. So it's it's, it's an interesting point because um Ian and I obviously come from di different places on the on the political spectrum, but we we've talked about um, first past the post before, and his concern that it gives it allows extremists to have power, and as much as um, as much as you know they, these aren't the you know the bedfellows that I would choose at the end of the day. If people are voting for them, or if people believe those things, then why you yeah. know I, no, I we we should we should mitigate against it. We can't mitigate against extremism by stopping it by stopping people that support it having representation. No, no. Because that's not democratic, surely. No, no, I think, I, I guess the interesting thing when we look at this is that it, it, it's interesting that as a country, we, we say we want more consensus politics, but then we don't, don't behave in that way. So when the Conservatives went into demand and supply with the DUP, the internet caught fire, and I must confess I wasn't entirely comfortable myself, when the Conservatives and the Lib Dems went into coalition, and we've touched on this many times, you know, there are a lot of progressive policies that the Conservatives, we now roll out, and Boris is quoted on the road, which, you know, we all know secretly, they might have been yours. 
I've got they definitely were. Yes, I know. <laughs> but I'm not, I won't to list them get here. The credit no. for the good ones. But but this is this is well, this is this is this is my point is that you know in 2015 the Lib Dems got annihilated, and they got annihilated for putting the brakes on a stronger conservative. You know the the electorate. Whilst you know, for me, I I, I get the consensus thing. But it, it, even the language now, you know, Joe Swinson, she's a yellow Tory. No, she isn't. But do you know, it's that almost, I don't know whether just as a society, we feel we've got to separate into two tribes because we can't almost, we're not prepared to work with anything more nuanced than that. But, but, it's a, but, it, but it, our society is failed by, the, I think, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a correct analysis that that seems to be the case um, in our politics, but I think we're being failed by that being the case. Because in reality, in every other walk of life, in families or in places where people work, you have to work with people that you don't, or you don't. Sometimes yeah. you don't don't agree with at all, and sometimes you don't agree with a lot. But you have to find a way of moving forward to do something. Because just spending all your time doing nothing but arguing doesn't serve anybody. So it's an interest, It's an interesting thing. Um, just to kind of come back, you you know you raised about the number of votes that they that they were actually had. Mm. So looking at just to just to give us some quick quick quotes on that in two thousand seventeen, uh, the, the SNP got thirty five seats with um, nine hundred and seventy seven thousand votes. The Liberal Democrats got twelve seats with two million three hundred seventy one thousand wow. votes. Um, I've rounded these by the way. Yes. Um, but UKIP got no seats with. Um, 594,000, whereas the Green Party got 525,000 votes and got one seat. UKIP got 1.8% of the vote, the Greens got 1.6%, the Liberal Democrats got 74 and the Scottish Nationals got 3%. Obviously that's skewed because the Scots yeah, Nats only, yeah, only exist yeah. in Scotland. But it's an interesting point about how first past the post, because of the different constituency sizes, means that then each seat isn't necessarily were you know each seat isn't necessarily uh, achieved with an e equality of of votes of votes mm -hmm. and that might mean that the number of seats in parliament aren't necessarily worth the same thing yeah mm -hmm. so th so there's an interesting point there about how that works definitely but there's also a disagreement in parliament isn't there about how you reconstitute it so that constituencies are roughly the same size so there's there's that kind of thing but Sorry, enough Google. of me. Question three. Question three. But, but there are different voting systems. It doesn't have to be straight PR. There are yep. different mm -hmm. systems. I know in, in Scotland they have the single transferable vote for the local elections. They brought that in in 2007, which has produced more local councillors that the people actually voted for. So that that yeah. more better represents so it's not a binary what, choice. Know, the There's... parties the people choose. And in Northern Ireland, they use the same system for their assembly and the councils. Mm. So maybe there's bigger questions about constitu consti constitutional makeup and what sort of country we want to be and how we actually want that our politics to reflect the people. Big, massive conversations about that and how the different regions and countries interact with each other within that union for us to resolve once once we've got past the B word, once we've kind of gone on past back. If we still have a union. Well, that's that's a yes. Well, that's a different thing entirely. But yes, that's there, there is that one. If he carries on, could be the last prime minister of the United Kingdom. We would hope not. Well, I wouldn't want the union to dissolve. Be it on his head. 
Right, next. <laughs> that's not one of the questions, is no, no. it? No, yeah, no. So you're, make, that, you're making up your own questions. Yeah, no. that, that's, <laughs> why, that's why we, 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 let's move on. The NHS. Do you think the NHS will always remain free at the point of use? Right. In theory, it should be. The NHS is one of the great wonders of the world, the envy of other nations. How on earth do we make it free at the point of use? When other nations invest tremendous amounts of money to provide free to provide healthcare, but they do it on an insurance basis, or a great percentage of their of their um, residents just don't have any healthcare. Yep. They they have to make their own arrangements through private healthcare. Uh, I can tell you when I lived in Spain, self-employed people can get private health insurance and set it against tax which i thought was a really good idea because it takes some of the burden off the state system we can do that here uh not fully so no, there, there are, and that. it wouldn't cover everything so yeah. so it was for us just, just very quickly for a family of four it was we could set two thousand euros against tax and it cost us two thousand three hundred so it cost us 300 euros a year to have full private health insurance which meant immediate A&E cover if we needed it or, or outpatient service if we needed it. It was amazing. And within three years, between the four of us, we had six operations. It was an amazing service. But we also had state cover if we needed it. Right. So that's just one thing. In Belgium, it is an insurance-based service, but it is social security-based in as much as you... When I went to the GP, I would pay €21, Euros and I'd get 16 euros back. So it would cost me five euros. But on the other hand, I could always see a GP on the same day and I could go direct to uh, an outpatient service. I didn't have to go through GP. So it is different, but I had to pay something. And it's a, that, that's a really interesting point because it's that, you know, again, when, when we've looked at this, you, you have a situation where you know, for a dental checkup, unless you're you're on a, a means tested benefit, mm. you have to pay mm. an amount. You have to pay for a psych test, mm. um, and and we seem kind of reasonably comfortable with those systems. But if somebody was to propose a nominal charge for visiting the GP, mm. bearing in mind that I think something like twenty, it's more than twenty percent of GP appointments, people just don't turn up. Mm. Um, there seems that, that that seems to be something that's you know seems to be railed against as mm. being well that's the death of the nhs that's mm. not mm. um well over there if you didn't pay you got sent an invoice you had to pay right simple as so yes pe people didn't waste appointments you're absolutely right on that so it's it's absolutely true we we accept paying for dental treatment and whilst a checkup is not a great deal of money it is when you just don't have the money mm. and that's you Every member of your family, that's a lot of money to find. And if they say, we want, we recommend you do that twice a year, that's a lot of money to find. Yeah. And if you're just above that benefits level where you don't you don't receive that, that help, <laughs> you know, it could be £5 a week difference mm. and you, you still have to pay for it. And that's before you need any treatment. Yeah. So you're dreading them saying you need £300 worth of treatment because you just can't cover it. So people are choosing not to go, which of course in the long term means they're more likely to need more dental treatment. 
for to end up in an emergency appointment. Yes, the... exactly. Um, so that's dental treatment, but then of course people pay for prescriptions unless they get them for free for benefit reasons or for chronic uh, health uh, reasons. So again, we accept that reluctantly. Yep. Accept that. That's not free at the point of use. We also pay for our vets. My might I point out we pay quite a lot of money to take our animals to vets. That's that's not free, is it? That's just an aside. So, I, the, another point I think is that the the GPs can only provide the services that are available in their area, and sometimes there is no NHS provider, and they have to pay for a private service. If there is no physiotherapist on the NHS in their area, they have to use a private service. Sometimes it has to be an x-ray service because the local x-ray service cannot provide within a reasonable period of time. If they can pay for that, why can't they pay for private therapy? Now, I have an interest in this. I am a private medical, private mental health therapist, but I provide a valuable service to people. But NHS doctors will not promote my services or the services of other private therapists because, oh, well, uh, we, we can't do that because it's outside our remit. But, uh, of course, patients are, are, are totally at liberty to, to find your services. Find them? They don't even know they exist. How mm. are they supposed to know what they're looking for? Uh, particularly <laughs> if you're in a... You know, if you are in an episode of, of you know, mental health crisis... Exactly. ...then your ability to be, you know... To be signposted to potential treatment is yeah. it would would seem to me to be beneficial rather than exactly. Let's hope they trip over you in the street. So a local GP once said to me, "Unless you've got severe schizophrenia, you're unlikely to get mental health treatment in this area for several months." Well, it's not very helpful when you need it and you need it now. Yeah. For whatever um, reason, be it depression, be it anxiety, be it one of the shall we say, more severe mental yep. health conditions. Is it not more helpful to say to somebody, I cannot provide this service, but what I can do is signpost you to other services for which you will have to pay. And, and but I'm, it is your choice. Yeah, no, I think, I, and I, you know, I, I, I'm finding the, you know, as a conservative, I'm finding the, the, uh, the conservatives are going to sell off the NHS as just a, a, a ludicrous line it's an element of it's a very expensive service we're you know the money invested in it we are spending more on it than ever before and it's not enough and we're going to have to spend more in the future as we've got an aging population and less people paying in um, and that that grown-up discussion as to how are we all going to pay for this um, for me is one that you know or is there a different way is one that we don't seem capable of having without it becoming again very polarized in terms of we're well, going to privatize everything well we're not going to pay for it with tax cuts the lib dems are honest enough to say to people we would put a penny in the pound on income tax and we would ring fence it yep. for health and social care and to me and to a lot of people that just makes sense yeah yeah no it's it, it's a there's a great transparency to it I, I would agree it's it's that element of but again, to that point, you know that 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 penny in the pound to somebody who's only just scraping by can make mm. a huge difference. Mm. 
Oh, it's been excellent. Thank you for that. There we go. We've done that well. So you've, we're, we're there. We've got eight days to go. So mm-hmm. I guess it's going to be a very busy eight days for yourself and the rest of the candidates and the uh, pounding the streets and uh, knocking on doors and delivering leaflets. Absolutely. The, the clock is ticking. There, yes. isn't, there isn't a general election advent calendar where you open up a... You open a door and you get a different material, different leaflet. Oh, that's what we should have done. Should, should have done it. Damn it. Yeah, I don't care you missed it. Well, don't worry. We're bound to have another election soon, right? And it's my birthday on the 11th, so the people of Portsmouth North can give me a wonderful birthday present on the 12th if they like. Marvellous. <laughs> You've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I've been Ian Tiny-Morris. I've been Simon Sansbury. And I'm Antonia Harrison. Yeah.